2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot to Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. And of course, you can call me Brad. I'm excited for today's show because today I have an incredible guest who I've had the pleasure of connecting with a couple of times now. Firstly, on her podcast, which we'll get into later, but today on our show. And what I love about her story is her story is in many ways tragic, but incredibly inspiring because she's experienced a whole heap of hardship and has lived with the grief that's come after that hardship, but has found a way to move on, to move forward, to understand that it's a part of her life. And in telling her story, she not only helps herself, but she gets to help other people. And I'm so inspired by her message and I'm so privileged to have her here today. So from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Lottie Bowser. How are you, Lottie? Oh, my God. That was like the best introduction I think I've ever had. We deserve Thanks, it. my love. <laughs> Bless you. I am really good, my love. I'm all the better for talking to you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's honestly my pleasure. I, I love recounting where I first connected with a guest when they come on the show, and I feel it was really special the way that we connected for the first time. I'd been on Cooper Chapman's podcast, Good Humans, and shared, you know, my story and all of the challenges that have come with it and all of the triumphant moments too. And I remember receiving maybe just a few days after it had released a beautiful message from you on Instagram. And I actually remember exactly where I was and what time it was. It was about 6.30 in the morning here in Oz. And for anyone who's listening to or watching the show here today, Lottie's over in Lisbon. So you'd see that is natural sunlight in her room. It's artificial in mine at the moment. (laughs) And I received your message. And as soon as I opened it, it was quite a big message, which I love because I'm a big message, big voice note kind of guy. And (laughs) when I started reading your message, I was so touched by your story and your kind words. You'd spoken some beautiful words about how you connected with my story and you shared parts of your story, which were very touching and I I can remember it made me quite emotional and I actually put my phone down and come back to the message after I'd been for a run because I really wanted to message you back with a clear head and with all of my energy and I don't want to steal your light because I feel like you need to tell this because this is your story to share but for the audience who are listening and tuning in here can you tell us a little bit about your story and why we're here today and why you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, Brad, it'd be my my pleasure. Um, God, so where to begin? I suppose I can take you back to summer of 2014, which is when I met my partner, Ben. We met online, we met on a dating app, and it was pretty much instant, our connection, I knew very quickly that he was my person and things unfolded fast. We declared our love for each other on a sweaty dance floor in East London. 
in England a month after meeting. We moved in together three months later and we spent four and a half beautiful years together. I had just turned 24 and it was beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I wasn't looking for anything serious, but when you know, you know, right? And we were madly in love and making moves to build a future together. And in the summer of 2019, so five years after meeting, a lump that I discovered between Ben's shoulder blade and spine a few months earlier was diagnosed as a stage three soft tissue sarcoma. And as you can imagine, this was the biggest shock, not only because Ben was incredibly healthy, he was a martial artist, he went to the gym a lot, he you know, drank no more than the rest of us. He'd never smoked. Um, but we were kind of just getting started as well. You know, I was 29 at the time. He was six years older. He was 35. And it really was like a grenade went off in the middle of our lives. I didn't want to acknowledge the gravity of his situation. And I think looking back at that, that time that was a coping mechanism of mine mm. you know I was somewhat in denial about it but the doctors were really hopeful you know we um, were told that with surgery and with radiotherapy he could be looking at you know another 10 years before we had to worry about the cancer spreading anywhere so that summer, he was fast-tracked through a series of surgeries, um, as I mentioned, radiotherapy. The radiotherapy was the insurance policy because you know, they managed to take all of the cancer out with really positive margins, meaning you know there were no cancer cells left after surgery. And we ended 2019 on a high in Australia, actually. Um, ben proposed to me just before the strike of midnight overlooking Sydney Harbour Bridge. And I remember laughing with him and saying, yeah, we'll just look back at this summer and think, you know, what the fuck? Like, that was crazy. You had cancer. And we started 2020 and we thought that would be it. You know, we could put it behind us. The doctors were really confident in his uh, recovery. Fast forward three months, we celebrate his 36th birthday and we are I think a week or two into the national lockdown in England so COVID is sweeping throughout the, you know the world um, and the day after Ben's due to return to hospital for a checkup and I don't think anything of it you know he'd only finished radiotherapy three months prior we get to the hospital and he is called in for another scan because they just want to make sure of something I, I don't really know they were very um vague about it but something had appeared on the first scan and I think that's when I started to feel a bit concerned he was called in for a second and we had to wait to receive the results and 
it was then that we were told the cancer had metastasized to his lungs and there were tumors in in both lungs now as you can imagine brad my entire world went black at this moment you know it was so traumatic to receive that news especially when we'd been given the all clear just a matter of months ago and ben went from a healthy vibrant successful music agent and martial artist to a terminally ill and extremely vulnerable cancer patient overnight basically and over the course of the next eight months we fought tooth and nail we tried every possible treatment available to us not only conventional treatment like surgery to re remove some of the tumors chemotherapy but also an array of different alternative treatments we sent tumors off for genetic testing we had thc which is an illegal substance you know delivered um mm -hmm. from abroad he was exploring um off-label drugs um IV infusions, all kinds of things. We were even doing, you know, hypnotherapy work and past life regression and meditation. You name it, we tried it and nothing helped him. Nothing worked. The cancer continued to spread like wildfire throughout his body. Fast forward to the end of summer 2020. So we've been battling this now for around five, six months. In a last ditched attempt to save his life, having been told you have run out of options now and you need to start making arrangements. In other words, go home and wait to die. Now, I'm not having any of that. You know, this is the love of my life and it's not over until it's over in my mind. So I spend the next few days researching alternative cancer treatment centers. I found one in Mexico and we were on a plane within a week and Ben was thrown into a really intensive treatment program, six days a week, you know, eight, nine hours a day. And after a few weeks, he did actually start to see some improvements. So a follow-up scan showed that some of the tumors had stopped growing and some had even got smaller. And after six months of fighting with no success, this was the most incredible news. Suddenly it felt like the future that we'd envisaged together was in within our reach again, within our grasp again. And so we continued. Um, I think it was maybe a week or two later that both of us started to feel a little bit unwell, but we passed it off as it just being all of the treatment, you know, the the emotional, mental stress that we were under taking its toll finally and catching up with us. And it wasn't until one morning where Ben's breathing began to deteriorate that I realized that something had gone very, very wrong. And it's a little bit hazy for me now, and I struggle to access the memories very clearly about what happened that day. But 
within a matter of hours, Ben went from being conscious and able to speak to suddenly being very unwell and struggling to breathe. His oxygen saturation levels continued to plummet and he was rushed to hospital. Now, we were separated at the entrance of the hospital because of COVID-19 regulations. And the last memory I have was of Ben is him sat upright on the stretcher being hurled into A&E and just shouting my name. And at this point, I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that, you know, his situation was really critical. The next time I saw him, he was unconscious and he was on a ventilator. So for the listeners that I'm sure people are familiar with this term now in the wake of the pandemic, but for those of you listening who don't know what a ventilator is, it's essentially mechanical life support, it's a mechanical breathing equipment to assist patients who can't breathe on their own. So Ben was placed on life support and they ran a series of tests and it was only after being put into that medically induced coma, he was diagnosed with COVID-19. And because of the cancer burden in his chest, it was everywhere by that point, you know, over the course mm. of the last six months, it had spread throughout the pericardial space. It was in the fluid around the lungs. It was in the lymph nodes. He developed such a severe case of COVID. So it already by that point, um, deteriorated it become you know he had pneumonia he had a super infection on top of the pneumonia and he spent the next 24 days in ICU and every day his condition would oscillate between critical to stable critical to stable for 14 of those days I spent um sorry start again for 14 of those for 14 of those days I was in quarantine in a hotel room by the 24th day Ben's condition had worsened so much so that his organs began to shut down and liver failure was the last was the last stop on the 14th of November, 2020, he died. And it's so crazy to me, Brad, to share this with you, to to recount it, because it feels inconceivable to me that I went through that, you know? Mm. And, in, and in telling it again, I can feel a very visceral response in my nervous system you know i'm i'm feeling it all as if it had just happened um yeah it's just it's fucking crazy and you know this was at the height of the covid-19 pandemic um i was stuck in mexico for another 2 weeks trying to figure out repatriation of his body Global regulations meant that COVID-19, deceased COVID-19 patients couldn't be transported overseas. He had to be cremated. I wasn't allowed to attend the cremation. I 
was finally able to leave Mexico to return back to England two weeks later with his ashes in my rucksack, which, as you can imagine, was an altogether head fuck, having expected that we would board that plane together with him in remission. And I went into another lockdown for the next four months. And so... Yeah, I I was in isolation for four months with only my mum and stepdad for company. And all of the rights and customs that we usually have that help us to process the death of a loved one were taken away as a result of COVID. Um, so to say that it was a difficult time is is an understatement. I have to say thank you so much for sharing that. You've got me over here dribbling tears because it's so hard. As someone who loves the people around me so, so much, it's so hard to hear someone talk about their experience like you've just done. Mm. I'm just so, I'm almost lost for words. I'm so touched by your willingness to share this, but I'm so inspired by the human being that you are right here right now with the courage that you have to continue living life in not only honor of yourself, but in honor of your partner, Ben. Mm. And there is so much to to go through there. It, it is such a heartbreaking story. I want to go to something positive firstly, and talk about what Ben taught you about life in those moments. Firstly, I'm so inspired by his willingness to fight because I think to fight for so long and to fight so hard, not everyone has that in them, understandably, but he was obviously a very tough character at heart. Talk to me about what you learned from Ben, because we often hear, and I've had the, say it's a weird word to use, but the privilege of being in hospital systems before and a guy that I spoke about on my podcast with you, I'm a gentleman by the name of Ernie, who in his final months taught me so much about life as we connected at the hospital. And for me, it was such a privilege and a gift to be given those moments with Ernie because I learned so much from him in his final moments. I wonder what you learned from Ben that still lives on within you now. Oh my God, so much. He is my greatest teacher and his death as well has been one of my greatest teachers. But even prior to his illness, Brad, Ben had such an incredible outlook on life. He was a real fairy dust person. Firstly, he just loved life and squeezed every last drop of juice out of it. Um, he was really special in that way, you know, always looking to the positives in everything, always seeing the best in people. And even though he only had 36 short years, they were incredibly full and rich. And he really grabbed life by the proverbial balls, right? And I think he took that with him into his illness he didn't want to die he wanted to be here and we were right on the precipice of greatness you know his career was just taking off he'd been working as a music agent throughout his 20s and had just signed some really big artists and 
there was so much scope for, for progression um, in his line of work that felt very exciting to us both. And we were wanting to get married and, and start trying to build a family together imminently. And so he still wanted all of those things. And I think you can go one of two ways, right? When confronted by terminal illness, but for us, it was really the only way to, to cope. We had to hold on to something. We had to believe that Ben could defy his prognosis and could be one of those success stories. And you do see them, Brad. People do it all the time. And Ben was just incredibly unfortunate. There are a series of events throughout his terminal illness that just didn't work in his favor. Um, you know, I think you can't hold on to this stuff because it will eat away at you. But every decision you make is a roll of the dice, right? When confronted by a terminal prognosis and there's no way of knowing until you try things. Did the surgery help or did it make it worse? Should we not have done chemo? Maybe, you know, there's no way of knowing any of that, but we had to be hopeful. And in my eyes, it wasn't over unless he was no longer breathing. And I think, you know, after he died, knowing how much he wanted to be here really helped me to move through some of the early days of suicidal ideation in not wanting to be here myself, in wanting to be wherever he had gone because life didn't feel worth living anymore without him. It helped me to recognize the privilege of waking up to another day when he so wanted to have that chance, you know? Yeah. And it galvanized me into trying to find things to be grateful for in the wake of his death. It galvanized me into reaching for joy in spite of it, you know? And two things can coexist. I learned that very quickly that I could honor my pain and honor Ben's death whilst also trying to pick up the pieces of what was left of my life and move forwards and Definitely. be grateful and joyful. Yeah. I have to say, hearing this drives home the message that we all need to understand and appreciate every day that if you wake up with air in your lungs and a heartbeat, you've been given an incredible gift. You cannot mm. take that gift for granted. Every day you have to hold on to that and understand how precious it is. And it is so sad to me that in society, it often takes losing a partner, having a brush with your own mortality or having something severe happen to you to have one of these life realizations where we're reinforced by that message. Mm. And so please, if you're listening to it, to this or watching this and you've found your way here to listen to Lottie's story, please understand that message. I want to go back and, and talk about something that you said there, talk about those decisions, those decisions that you can 
mull on and cause yourself even more guilt and grief in, you know, the present moment about what could have been or what should have been or what we should have done. Because I heard something today that really speaks to this. I heard someone say today in a podcast that not to make a choice is to make a choice. There's no such thing as not choosing an option because if you do nothing, you've chosen to do nothing. And in those moments, what gives you hope is some form of progress, some form of path that you choose to take. And I am such a believer that hope is an incredible medicine because hope is something I've had my whole life that's allowed me to fight my challenges and it's allowed me to be where I am today. I wonder though, on the flip side of that coin, hope is one, an incredible medicine, but it also can build up a sense of positivity that makes it sometimes harder in grief. Have you experienced that? Do you recognize what I mean by that? It makes so much sense to me because because I was so hopeful and right up until the day Ben died, Brad, you know, I was hosting remote energy healings on zoom. I was, um, you know, writing diary entries from my future self the day after our wedding day, I was so focused on his healing that for him to have died anyway, despite everything that we did, it just felt absolutely devastating. And I think for a long time, I struggled to accept that it ended the way that it did. Mm. Um, but, you know, looking back, as I said a moment ago, it was really the only way for me to continue. I needed to hold on to something. Um and I also needed to feel as though we had some degree of control over the situation. And I've come to realize that, you know, of course, there are things that we can do to support our recovery from these kinds of things. But there is also an innate randomness to life, right? And the reality is, Bradley, we all die at some point, right? We do all die, you know, our physical bodies expire in, in, in whatever way at some point. So yeah, there is, there is that dichotomy of, um, you know, between hope and then having really held on to that and in the wake of his death, really struggling to accept that he died. Certainly. Yeah. I can't even imagine Lottie. And, you know, it makes me think about the stages of grief that you would have experienced. And I'm sure there has been stages of grief. And I guess for everyone listening and tuning in who doesn't know Lottie and doesn't know what she's doing now, a lot of your work is around grief and allowing people to feel like they have comfort and support in grief, understanding the process of it and how to heal through it. Talk to me though, if we discuss and address the stages of grief, was anger a part of that first stage? Because I can only try to put myself in your shoes and, and I can imagine I'd probably be a little bit angry at the world that the person I love has been taken away from me. Oh my God, definitely, definitely. And I just want to say that it is such 
a valid emotion and we need to stop pushing it down. You know, it's mm. normal. It's fucking normal to be angry at the injustice of, of what's happened to you. Um, I had to go through in order to make sense of having arrived at the point which Ben didn't survive. I had to go through what a friend of mine who runs a podcast called the good morning podcast calls it. I had to go through a psychological autopsy. So it was like trying to piece together the different events over the course of his terminal diagnosis to understand how he died. And I was furious. I was so angry. And I think I pinpointed some degree of responsibility on Ben's doctors on the fact that we were navigating all of this during a pandemic, which compounded the inadequate support for cancer patients in England at the time. I think there's an estimated surplus 60 or 70,000 cancer-related deaths as a direct result of the pressure that COVID-19 put on our healthcare system in England, deaths that could have been avoided, you know? Um, and then interestingly, Brad, and I feel as though I can speak about this because I've done the work to forgive myself for this, but I was also kind of angry at Ben, you know, and Ben's body, like how, why, why did it not comply, you know, despite us having the most positive mindset you're gonna heal we're gonna heal you're already healed you know that was our narrative we had post-it notes stuck all around the house you know in front of the mirror on the kitchen cupboard I am healed I am healthy I'm I am whole and then also in the in the early days following his death angry at other people you know I would see people in the streets much older than Ben smoking or drinking or or otherwise and I'd feel angry you know why are you alive why isn't Ben why do you get to be here doing what you're doing when Ben didn't do any of that stuff you know but I just kept coming back to the fact that life is random life is cruel and bad things happen to good people you know despite our best intentions shit happens right and it, it is so true Lottie and I think it is so harsh to say but life is not fair it's not fair life is it's not, not fair. fair and it's nothing is promised and mm. part of that is so hard to understand and to process and I know for me I've at times in my life I've thought far out this is not a fair situation to be in or this is not a fair situation for that person to be experiencing and you know we talk a lot about especially in the chronic illness space a lot about the idea of life expectancy but i've come to realize something in the last couple of months that life expectancy is a myth because nobody's mm -hmm. promised a single day on earth yeah and the fact that like you said one day you will die makes life mm. quite beautiful right now mm. and, it's, and also, it's a hard thing to understand in the moment though isn't it it really is and you just made me think of the terminology terminal aren't we all terminal 
you know <laughs> we're all Amen, terminal we yeah we're not we're not immortal um absolutely and yeah that's probably one of the most jarring things about death it can't be undone you can't make it right but I think you know realizing that early on realizing that well try as I might there's nothing I can do to change this it did help me to reach a place of acceptance and I don't mean acceptance in the sense that Ben dying is okay because it will never be okay right but acceptance of the facts and being able to move forwards because of that you know you speak about moving forward and you mentioned something earlier that because Ben fought so hard to be here because he fought so hard to continue to live life with you that the idea of suicidal ideation was shut down pretty quickly because you wanted to live in the memory of Ben and, and live through, I guess, allow him to live and his soul to live through you still. Mm. Was there any guilt though associated, even knowing that, was there any guilt associated with moving on and getting to live life? Mm, definitely. Yeah, it didn't feel fair. You know, why do I get to be here? Why do I get to enjoy this cup of coffee or listen to our favorite music or go to a festival or plan a holiday and he doesn't you know but I think I was able with certain tools like therapy and other things to move through those emotions because you know it's it's futile what is the point what is the point in feeling guilty the fact is I am here you know so until I join him I get to deserve I, I deserve to make the most of what's left of my life. Yeah, it's so beautifully said and probably a great time to mention the name of your soon-to-be-live podcast, The Lemonade Podcast. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you first told me the name of it, I thought, The Lemonade Podcast. It just didn't click to me straight away. And then I thought, ah, I get exactly what she's on about here. When life mm. gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Talk about the process of making lemonade in your own life. What have been the things that have allowed you to understand and process your guilt and move on in a way that isn't surprising to me? And let me explain what I mean by this comment that I'm about to make. It isn't surprising to me that someone who has experienced so much hardship wants to help others because you know, maybe contrary to what people would potentially in the first place think when something really tough happens to somebody, like someone they love is taken away from them in your case, or maybe even in my case, having experienced some challenges with my own health, there is this burning desire in me to help other people who may experience the same thing later down the line, or maybe experiencing it now. What is it about this experience that has made you want to go and make lemonade out of your lemons and help other people? Mm. Mm. But I think helping other people, Brad, it gives us a sense of meaning and purpose amidst our adversity, right? The notion that I could transmute this incredibly painful experience into something that then 
supported others in the midst of their own losses was my why. It was my reason to get out of bed and to keep going every morning. Like I said to you, there was nothing that I could do to change it. You know, I couldn't reverse the course of time. And even if I could, Ben's case was so complicated that who knows if he would have survived. I just, and with regards to the suicidal ideation, as much as I didn't want to be here anymore, I didn't feel as though I could pass on my pain to others. You know, it would just be transferring my pain onto those around me that love me. So I had to find a way to carry it. And I think um, a big part of my process was seeking out stories of other people who'd gone through really difficult things in life and who had somehow found a way to carry it and to have to sorry who had somehow found a way to carry it and help others experiencing mm. similar things and it's really profound in many ways, but I feel as though it's also a way to ensure that Ben's legacy is carried forwards. Everything that I do, yeah, everything that I do now and the projects that I have in the pipeline, they all come back to Ben. They all come back to his life and his death. And I almost feel as though we're still very much a team, you know, and he's simply handed the baton over to me. And it's, it's such a beautiful way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps this is a conversation for another podcast, but I believe that we don't just cease to exist after our physical body expires. I do believe in life after death. I've had confirmation of that, you know, through signs and through messages and through very validating experiences with psychic mediumship. I know Ben is still here and he's guiding me. And it's just a really beautiful notion, you know, that we're working together still, but just on opposite sides of the veil. I love that so much, Lottie. And I'm so glad to hear that because I know that what you're doing is like, I feel Sitting here chatting to you today, I feel so lost for words in so many ways because, and that's unusual for me because I normally know how to just rattle and rattle and rattle and not shut up, <laughs> but I feel so lost for words because I'm so touched by your story. And I know that whilst not everyone can say they've lost someone that they love in form of a partner, a life partner, we can all relate to someone that we've lost too early. Or even at a stage in their life, later in their life, like I lost my nan a couple of years ago and similar to, similar to what you were sharing with Ben, you know, cancer that then led to pneumonia and ultimately it was the pneumonia that kind of brought her life to an end sooner than we'd expected. But I just remember experiencing it through COVID where I couldn't be out there at the hospital to see her and and just feeling like there was so much left unsaid because it's someone you love mm. and you want to spend all those moments with. Mm. And I had this moment just the other day where I was standing on stage a couple of weeks ago now 
um, at an event we're actually connected with a mutual friend of ours, Cooper Chapman. Mm. And Coop and I were speaking at an event called Humankind. It was hosted at Luna Park. And I can, you know, remember a number of times that my nan and I were at Luna Park together throughout my childhood. And I remember standing on stage there that day and for a moment realizing, far out, my nan would be here in some way, in some presence watching mm. this thinking we used to enjoy moments here together when you were young and now you're speaking on this stage and it felt for me like a really proud moment so I can connect with what you're sharing here and understand its importance because so many people need to hear this story and need to hear your message Mm. because we all experience grief in different ways it may not always be losing someone we love sometimes it's just losing a part of our life losing a part of ourselves and having to pick up the pieces what is it about grief in, you think, like in this modern age where social media is so prevalent, where everything that sometimes we can't have in that moment is in front of our faces? Mm-hmm. What is it about grief in the modern age that you think has changed? Mm, interesting. Well, I still feel as though it's a subject that's shrouded in a lot of stigma and misunderstanding I do think we've come a long way though having spoken to lots of people who lost people 10 20 30 years ago even um but it's just so uncomfortable for people because grief is a reminder of what's at stake right when we live we die when we love we lose it's an inevitability that we all face one day if we haven't already and that's really fucking uncomfortable for people you know, we don't want to think about it. And so it does remain relatively out of sight, out of mind. And if it isn't, it's the elephant in the room that prompts awkward glances, awkward exchanges, awkward conversations. Um, But, you know, fortunately, because of social media, and this is why I love it, um, it's been very pivotal for me in my own healing we are having more conversations grief is more visible along with other stuff like mental health issues and Bradley you I'm sure have done so much in your advocacy work for cystic fibrosis and bringing that to the fore as well you know Mm. um So we are getting better, I think, at talking about difficult things. And I'm so relieved because whether we talk about them or not, they're happening, you know, people are struggling. And I think speaking from my own experience, I have found so much strength and solidarity in connecting with others who have a shared or a similar experience um so there's definitely still work to be done which is why I'm very passionate about this subject about lifting the lid on some of the misconceptions surrounding grief um but we just need to keep talking about it you know definitely do I think it's such an important point you made there we have to keep talking about it So we were actually chatting about this over social and, you know, social has brought us together, which is amazing. And I'm so glad it has. And one of the things we were discussing last week was 
that I'd been on an SBS series. So uh, for anyone outside of Australia, SBS is just a broadcasting network here. And they hosted a TV series. Well, they've consistently hosted it for a long time now called Insight. And Insight talks to ordinary human beings about topics that seem to be relatable to all of us as humans. And due to some of the content that I've been doing around my health, um, I was asked to come on and talk about death. And one of the conversations we had that evening was, do we dance around the topic of death too much? Would there be a benefit, a positive benefit in us discussing death more frequently, more openly and vulnerably with the people around us, not even just the people we love, but just the people in our life, the people we're connected with and how understanding our wishes, our desires, our thoughts around death can allow us to all heal and process death better. Do you think that we need to continually encourage these conversations so that it isn't such a sore point to talk about when we experience it? Mm, Absolutely. I don't know if talking about it more would necessarily lessen the pain when it happens. And I say when, not if, when, right? But I do think at the very least it will make us more comfortable in discussing it and also supporting those who've experienced bereavement because what I found particularly difficult is not only trying to carry the impossible weight of pain over Ben's death and my dad's death who died 10 months after Ben it's another piece to the story there um but also managing the behavior of others right it's so uncomfortable for people and because we aren't good at talking about it people don't know how to show up people aren't equipped with adequate tools to support those navigating bereavement so yeah I think it's really important and another thing that I think is really important Brad is just going off on a tangent here slightly is remaining open to the possibility that death is not the end and for those of us that don't subscribe to an organized religion this might be quite difficult for us to wrap our heads around but even if we're not necessarily spiritually inclined, we can look at the science, right? So it's scientific law that everything in the known universe is energy and this energy cannot be destroyed. It just changes form from one thing to another. So we have to still exist in some way. And for me, that's been incredibly healing. I really dove deep into all of this stuff after Ben died. I devoured books and documentaries on near-death experiences and life after death and mediumship. And it brought me a lot of comfort And we don't have to wait to be confronted by death to begin exploring this stuff, you know, and finding things that alleviate some of the fear around death. 
Yeah, so beautifully said. And I just I just love the way you frame that there, that scientifically we are energy and energy can't be deleted or defeated. No. You know, we are still here. And that's so important to understand. And I don't know if I would say I'm religious, but I, I've had, and I've talked about it before on the podcast one or two times, I've had some sort of a relationship with praying every night for the last 13 years. Mm-hmm. And I've not really ever attended church outside of maybe one or two occasions when I was younger. Um, I went to a Christian school, so it's sort of a part, a little bit of a part of the curriculum that we were taught, but I never really connected with religion in that way, but I've connected with this sense of faith, Mm. faith that I can somewhat put energy out into the universe that allows me to feel more connected and more in touch with the safety, security, health of the people I love, the dreams that I have for myself and for all of our futures. And the fact that, you know, I know that one day the people I love so much may not be here with me or I may not be here with them. And in that, I want to know that I'm somewhat still connected to them in some way. And I think what you just explained there is a really beautiful way of understanding that and enjoying that relationship without potentially for some people who don't feel connected to it, having to be too connected to religion. Mm. Well, I think um, it's important to distinguish the difference between religion and spirituality, right? I do think that they're very different. Um, My personal belief is that there is a greater or a higher intelligence that pervades all things. I don't know exactly what that is, but I've had enough insights through meditation, breathwork, plant medicine as well to know that. And so really it's just about what I, what I would like to encourage people to do is to just remain open to possibility. You know, there's so much that we don't know. And I like to, I often like to think about the fact that there are light waves and sound waves bouncing around all over the place, right? They're undetectable to the human uh, eye, but we can't dispute the fact that they are there, right? We know that for a fact. So of course, there's every possibility that the people we love who we've lost are still here in some way, shape or form. You know, it's beautifully said, Lottie, and I guess my thoughts on religion or spirituality in, you know, their two different existing ways has always been that whatever you believe, the one thing that remains the same is you have to have an element of faith. Mm. And I think faith is a beautiful thing, no matter how you connect to it. And Mm. I know that the faith that I'm connected with my people and the people I love um, in this lifetime and the next lifetime makes me feel a whole lot better about the way I live my life and having that connection with them. And so I think for people, it's just important to understand that however that relationship looks or feels to you, that's for you to enjoy. 
Absolutely. We spoke a little bit off camera about your love for writing and we Mm. connected on the fact that writing can be a beautiful way to process our life experience. It is quite a, it's a very deliberate way of putting your thoughts out into the world because you have to sit, think, write, and then read back essentially what you're Mm. writing and understand how it's connecting, piecing together the puzzle of your life or the puzzle of a particular story. Talk to me about the role that writing's played in allowing you to process what has been the last few years of your life and allowing you to understand and potentially plot and plan how you move forward. Mm, That's a really good question. I can't advocate for writing enough. It's been so integral to my survival in the early days of grief and also to my integration and to my healing. I don't really feel as though I had much of a choice, Bradley. It's like I just felt compelled to pick up the pen or to open the lid of my laptop and write. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, and, you know, streams of consciousness would just tumble out of me. And it was almost a way to let some of the pain exist outside of me, right? There was a a process of transmutation somehow it it would metamorphose into something different it just it it carried a different energy when it was no longer living solely within my mind but you know elsewhere it was a very cathartic process and I took to sharing my experience on social media during the four-month lockdown after Ben's death. And I think not having any other outlet, I couldn't meet people. I couldn't spend time in the outdoors or in public places. It was a way for me to fill some of those gaps, right? And in doing so, because so many other people were going through the same thing, having lost people throughout the pandemic and then having been left to cope with it in isolation, I connected to people. So many people found comfort in my words. They found solidarity in my words. And as much as my story is unique, there's so much shared within loss, right? It is a universal experience. Um, so it was really beautiful to build a community in the wake of Ben's death. And that community continues to support me to this day in the way that I hope I, you know, I hope that is, is reciprocated. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a therapy, you know, it's a real catharsis and I'd encourage anybody who feels called to write, to just pick up the pen, you know, and, and let it pour out of you. Don't worry about 
it being perfect in any way. There's no such thing. It's really just getting your thoughts down onto paper. And like I said, in doing so, your experience will shift in some way. I love that you've had this outlet and you just said there about getting your thoughts onto paper mm. or onto the laptop, however you do it. Mm -hmm. And I heard something else today, which makes a lot of sense to discuss right now. It was, and I may butcher this, it won't be word for word, but it was essentially that thoughts are very similar to smells. Mm. They kind of just exist without you being able to grab them, see them, fully understand and label them. It's kind of mm. just, it is what you believe it to be. There's something about leaving thoughts in your head for too long that makes it really hard to process them but something beautiful about putting a thought on paper where you can then stop thinking about it and actually look at it for what it is, read it back and see it. That has a profound impact on the human brain and on the human experience. And I know that personally, when I feel as though I'm consistently journaling, I'm consistently writing and sharing my thoughts and experiences, it allows me to fully decompress what's on going on inside of my head put it on paper and actually see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. When there is so much in this day and age that we feel overwhelmed by, whether it's work, our relationships, the financial challenges we have at home, whether it's navigating new situations and new paths in life, life can be overwhelming. And when there are so many things going on inside your head, it's hard to know which thought to sit with at any one mm -hmm. given time. And so mm. I think for anyone writing and whether that's for five minutes a day or for someone who dives more into it and pursues it as a career for hours a day, it allows you to fully process what you're experiencing and thinking. And I just love that you found this outlet. And I know for me, it's paid dividends in understanding parts of my life story too. Mm. So I hope yeah. to continue to connect with your ability to write. And I'm just so <laughs> excited to actually go back and have a look, little bit of a look at what you've written and these sort of experiences you've shared through your mm. social media. I think that'd be a really beautiful experience for anyone listening. Oh, you, you absolutely will watch this space. I've got something in the pipeline um, that I'll be able to share with you at some point, but yeah. And you know, what's really beautiful about it as well, Brad, is that, you know, it basically acts as a map. It shows you how far you've come as well. When I look back over the journal entries from those early days in the weeks and months after Ben died, I'm in a radically different place now, mentally and emotionally to where I was back then. And it's so reaffirming and it's such a, it's just such a, powerful exercise to look back you know over those entries another thing that actually has just sprung to mind that I do want to say is that there's this rhetoric after a loved one dies that it never gets any easier right and when you're confronted by the death of a loved one that's a really fucking bleak prospect because the pain is so agonizing and the thought of having to carry that every day until your death is just 
inconceivable, right? You don't know how you're going to survive it. And I know with conviction, I, I feel like I can say this with absolute certainty and conviction that it does get easier. And I really want to share that message because I think in the early days, whether it's loss, whether it's another kind of trauma or adversity, we do need something to hold on to, right? No matter how delicate the thread is, like we need something to hold on to. And for me, it's definitely changed shape. I know looking back over those entries that it has got easier. You know, and it's not to say that the pain of Den Ben's death has lessened, but I've grown around it. And actually life has expanded and become so more enriched as a result of his death. I'm so glad to hear that because you deserve to not only survive through this, but to thrive in life. And mm. that is so important for people to understand that as hard as losing someone or losing something in our life that we love can be, we shouldn't have to live in that pain and be crippled by it. You have to mm. understand that that pain, like you said, will always be there. Losing the person you love is always going to feel like there's something missing in your life but you deserve to go on and you have gone on to do amazing things that are having such an impact on the world, Lottie. I'm so touched by how emotional it's been for me to chat to you tonight or this morning over there in Portugal. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like the, my eyes are red and swollen and have been yes. so emotionally on the edge the whole time, because this is such a beautiful and, and profound experience you've shared because we can all relate to this in some way, shape or form. And because of that, you're going to do amazing things in this world. I just know it. You already are. But I know that there's so much ahead of you that is bigger and going to have so much of an impact on the community of people who are experiencing and will continue to experience the hardship that life consistently throws at us. You said something before that to love is to lose. And I think that's something important to remember for everyone. So just hold on to the people you love and love them mm. even more so than you thought you did the day before, because that's so important. Before mm. we go, because I could talk to you for hours, but I know we've got to wrap <laughs> this up. Before we go, I just want to give you the platform to share any ways that people can connect with you and ways that you'd love to connect with the community. Because as you said, community is so important in understanding how we move through grief and how we find ourselves on the other side. Absolutely. My inbox is always open to anybody navigating loss or anything hard for that matter. You can connect with me on Instagram. I tend to hang out there the most. My handle is Lottie, that's L-O-T-T-E, Bowser, B-O-W-S-E-R. And yeah, uh, check out my podcast, Brad, we recorded an epic conversation, which is going to go live at some point soon. It's called Lemonade and you can find that on all platform streaming platforms. Uh, you can, you can tune into that on all streaming platforms. Amazing. Well, I'm going to make sure that the links to everywhere people can find you is in the show description. I want to thank you so much for being a part of the fabric of a lot to talk about. 
I love your story. I love everything that you stand for and everything that you're doing in life. And I'm excited to continue to support you, Lottie. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been my pleasure, Brad. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling. And as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.